Welcome to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and as the title of the podcast implies, I am a first-timer. That means I had never seen Doctor Who until I started this podcast. And, well, if you've been listening, you know I'm hooked. If you haven't been listening... Where have you been? And of course I love the show. I fell in love with it instantly, and now I can't wait every week to sit down with an expert and share all of the Doctor Who goodness that can be squeezed out of every possible episode. And this episode is no difference. We are talking about the Christmas episode for 2007 titled Voyage of the Damned. And as it has become tradition in our podcast, why not have one of our most knowledgeable guests with me for every Christmas episode, uh, but also have the only guest that joins the podcast regularly that does not actively celebrate Christmas, John Sobel. Oh, Hanukkah, oh, Hanukkah, (laughs) come light the menorah. Hello, thank you for having me again, yes. I'm sure you have a uh, dreidel that is shaped and looks like a TARDIS, right? Oh, absolutely. Somewhere uh, around here. I was going to say, because if somebody has not made that, I'm going to make a lot oh, of no, money there's, now. <laughs> there's, there's definitely you know, the, the deep blue TARDIS look. <laughs> Excellent. <Dreidels. laughs> so welcome to the show, John. It's been a while since we've had you this uh, series, so uh, welcome back. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is, I love this episode. This is the, the synopsis of this episode is a spacecraft set on an apocalyptic course, collision course with Earth, a host of killer robot angels, and an evil severed headed mastermind. It's just another Christmas for the 10th Doctor. <laughs> Which uh, I, I, I have been in this show talking about how much I love Titanic, how much I loved the first time there was a reference to Titanic in the Doctor world. The very first episode. The very, uh, yes, the very first episode. The very first episode. Where they show us a photo of the Doctor saving people from the Titanic. And, of course, uh, during Blink, the, the, the kid has a clipboard of some sort or a folder of some sort. And there is a, uh, there's, there's a sticker that sort of evoked that Titanic. Uh, oh yes. And, and of course I was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool if that ever were to happen. And at the end of last week's episode, there is the bow of Titanic crashing through the TARDIS, which Holy cow. And I said that last week, and I'm going to say it again this week. <laughs> like It crashed through the TARDIS. That's the first time we've ever seen anything make it through the hull of the TARDIS. That's amazing. Yes. Especially, you know, when the doctor, you know, has said with, you know, when he has everything going, the shields that the, the whole Dalek Empire could, could, you know, try to get through and nothing would go through those doors. Right, uh, but we've seen the, it like all shot of the and again. all things, all sorts of things. You know, like uh, human beings shooting at it, other you know <laughs> Daleks shooting, and here it is, the hull of the Titanic, and the Doctor just like what? Um, so I was a little disappointed when he makes his way on board and it looks nothing like Titanic, 
and we realize that it's just a space cruiser. They're yeah. on a space cruise, and they just happened to borrow the name Titanic. Uh, so it was a little and not, disappointed. <laughs> and not only that, but when the ship crashes through into the TARDIS, two life preservers land inside the TARDIS. First of all, why are life preservers on the outside of the ship? Uh, on the outside of a spaceship. Of a spaceship, right. No, <laughs> why are they on the outside of a ship? Why are they outside of a spaceship? And then every other time you see outside pictures of the ship, there's not a life preserver to be seen. Sure. <laughs> I have a problem with this. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of other things that if we start to nitpick, uh, oh, I know. especially shows like Doctor Who can fall apart because, you know, budgets are what they are and sometimes they have to right. make do. Uh, but I do very, love yeah. that the doctor, you know, in his usual self, you know, uh, he he's on the ship and he's like walking through and he starts asking question of these hosts that look like you know, Christmas angels. Uh, and he actually asks the question. Titanic, um, who thought of the name? Information. It was chosen as the most famous vessel of the planet Earth. Did they tell you why it was famous? Information. All designations are chosen by Mr. Max Capricorn, president of Paris. Max. So... Yes. <laughs> why yes. did they choose it? It's a famous ship. That's why. It's a famous ship. <laughs> and we're going to Earth to study to you know see Christmas in Earth, so why not use a very famous ship? And no, that's not hinting anything at all to the people who are watching this that it's uh it's the Titanic, so it's not gonna <laughs> do anything weird like right. What could something possibly or something go wrong? Hit, hit, hit. Right. Uh, one of the one of the fun things that I found while reading this was that originally the working title was Starship Titanic, um, and uh, was changed because Douglas Adams had created a video game uh, and novel with that title uh, years earlier, and Douglas Adams was a, as we had said before, a writer, uh, obviously very famous for, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, right. but he did write several episodes of the original, uh, series. There's also a little reference to, uh, Douglas Adams when, uh, the oh, doctor, yeah. later in the episode, he's trying to figure out how to usurp the, uh, the, the host system. And he's just shouting out numbers and letters and commands. And he says 42. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's uh, part of part of that. Actually, what you just play, yeah, the, the the song clip that you just played is going to go right into a, a little thing here. The reason that that Max uh, little stutter there is stopped at that point was a uh, a, a little tribute, if you will, for Max Hedrum. Mm. Which in the nine in the nineties was a nineties early no yeah late eighties early nineties was a partially uh, computer generated uh, character uh, move it was I think it was a movie and then a TV show but what I, uh, but um, so that was that uh, it was actually generated and created in nineteen eighty four as I read my notes um, and that would be fine for just a little thing but here's a little weird story that we have in Chicago and mm -hmm. specifically happened in Chicago here. Um, as I've told before on the show, I've been watching Dr. Who for as long as I remember. 
Um, and uh, it was always on Sunday nights. They would play uh, on the uh, PBS television station. First, it would be um, uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus at 10 o'clock, and then at 10.30 would be Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. This was on Sunday night. So, of course, I would stay up late and watch, you know, to make sure to watch Doctor Who. And on uh, Sunday, November 22nd, so the Sunday before Thanksgiving, uh, there was a show of uh, the fourth Doctor show called Horror of Fang Rock. And as it was playing, a pirated Max Headroom hmm. uh, broke the screen, broke the channel, broke the transmission, and broadcast a transmission of himself over the airwaves. Hmm. And it's, it can be found online. You can look it up for Pirate Chicago Doctor Who. So, you know, you know, you know Max Headroom, you know, just do that on face on uh, YouTube and you can find it. And it's a lot of gibberish and everything. But you see, it's a Doctor Who episode and people are kind of moving, you know, they're moving around doing things. And then all of a sudden it breaks in it's statically. And then this whole thing comes up with a guy in a Max Headroom uh, mask uh, pirated the signal for about almost 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it was Sunday night late, so you know there's not a lot of people at the station, you know, trying to, you know, keeping an eye on things. So that's why it went so long. This pirate actually tried uh, that that Monday again on the PBS station uh, during a, uh, a kids program, and that got cut off real quick. And he had tried uh, another time on another channel and got cut off, you know, again within 30 seconds. But this time it was actually a long episode, a long portion of it. And this person has never been found. Oh, wow. And this was 1987. <laughs> and it's still one of the freakiest things. And, and I didn't see it live, but, I, but uh, I was told about it. And it was like, whoa, that is really weird. And it was all over the news. <laughs> that Wow, that's a deep hole. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really deep hole. But yeah, it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's Max Headroom. It's like, it's okay, they get that. And it's like, oh, yeah, Chicago. I remember as, as I was... <laughs> As I was reading that note, I went, "Oh, I gotta find the, I gotta find all the information." I dug up all that information on the, the pirate thing, but yeah, never been found. It's real interesting. That's that's amazing. And uh, yes, please look it up. It is very weird. I will definitely be looking it up and uh, most likely include it in the show notes. So if you're listening to the podcast, head on over to the website firsttimelord.com. Uh, I will have a link to it there. If it's still available on YouTube, it, you will find that link. It there. is. I. <laughs> I, I looked. I checked it out this morning. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, getting back to the episode, All right, getting back to the show. Yeah. The you know, so we get the name, uh, which is a clever gag, and uh, you know that at least that little line made me feel a little bit better that they were acknowledging the fact that this ship had a name like Titanic, and they weren't just using it as the gag at the beginning of the the show. So that that made me a little happier, um, but. Um, uh, almost immediately, like it seems like a very sort of classic episode where you know people are just celebrating Christmas, so you got a lot of really nice dapper outfits. Um, and I loved how the the uh, what was the, her name? Astic, Astric, Astrid, Astrid. Um, I love how she looked like a Hitchcock leading lady. Oh yes. You know, she looked like she could have been picked out of, you know, Vertigo or Psycho or, you know, North by Northwest. She just looked. Yeah, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. She looked absolutely gorgeous, but she looked so 
like timeless from you know she she evoked that like silver screen era to me uh very strongly and, and there are moments throughout this episode where the the general feel of the episode felt like a an old like silver screen like very dramatic movie uh you know it starts off as kind of a classic doctor who thing um but then you know jumping around uh as as we get into the episode and the asteroids hit the thing it turns into you know like a the Poseidon uh, adventure like the Poseidon adventure exactly uh including all the different body types and you know the 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 heavier set lady having to sacrifice herself because she can't make the swim you know this time she can't right. make the climb across like uh, there were so many parallels that I was like, wow, I I remember this movie. It's just now set in space and it's a little more modern. But it was it was really I, I appreciated all those tones that this episode evoked. Oh, absolutely. That was that was the best part of this. Um, when you don't have when all you have is the doctor and everyone else is brand new. It's so much fun. Uh, it takes you back to the beginning when you first get uh, a brand new uh, companion where it's just the doctor. Everyone else is brand new, like Smith and Jones at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Uh, where you get, it's so much fun learning people and you don't know who's important and who's not important. Well, and I loved how almost instantly um, the the girl, and again, her name is Astrid. Astrid. I, uh, I, but uh, Astrid is start, you know, she starts talking to the doctor and what she says, like, it, it's almost like catnip to him. You dreamt of another sky. New sun, new air, new life. The whole universe teeming with life. Why stand still when there's a lot of life out there? You know, that, like, he immediately you see him get drawn to her uh oh yes there is something about her that the doctor has uh you know using other space metaphors locked in uh and is being you know pulled towards her uh which you know he's just gone through a very traumatic you know breakup as it were between him and martha uh he has just gone through this very traumatic experience of watching the you know the last counterpart to him as he is aware of uh you know from the time lords uh just pass away in his arms so he's you know he's very vulnerable and all of a sudden here's this person not from earth this time but here's this person that seems to long for the one thing that he can actually offer right and yeah she's she definitely wants to break out of what she's doing and get out and do things. So that's the perfect, you know, connection to, uh, uh, connect, go to the doc, go with the doctor and, and see everything. <laughs> right. Uh, and then of course we have, you know, the, the, the silly fun character, um, that, um, the, the, the little, uh, redheaded spiky character, uh, with a clever name. And there's that whole exchange about, uh, what his name is. Uh, Banacafalata. Uh you know, and and again, it feels very much like that uh, sequence from series from series one, episode two, 
where they're like introducing all these different alien species uh, and you're not quite sure, like you said, which are going to be important, which are not. Um, but they all kind of have, you know, little silly things about them uh, that make them memorable in, in within the universe. So I appreciated that character. Uh, and certainly, you know, he, he plays, uh, he plays a, a, an interesting uh, role later in the episode. Oh yes, and and just uh, when the doctor asked Bonacatalada, I was like, "Can I shorten it to Bonner?" You know, it's very similar to the fourth doctor when the fourth doctor uh, had to leave um, Sarah Jane on Earth and went in space without her. Mm. He got a uh, uh, new companion. Uh, and she had a really long name. She wound up uh, being shortened it to, to Romana. Uh, and he it was, I can't pronounce this. I'm never going to try. Mm-hmm. And he's like, can I, you know, and Romana is the first, uh, is the first letters of her name. She's like, he's like, can I uh, shorten that to Romana or, or Fred? Um, so it's, I, I kind of almost wish, cause it felt like that. And I remember that when, when I watched it, it's, you know, I was hoping that was going to continue on, but, <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't, you know, because uh, he refused to have it changed. She did. She like she didn't mind having her name shortened. But yeah, I I love the uh, the, the 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 gag with the name um, that felt again very familiar uh, and and a nice way to sort of introduce the characters. Um, and I I loved the introduction to that historian, the Earth historian. That starts, oh <laughs> you know, uh, spouting off all this nonsense, which is always hilarious. I, I love it when, you know, history is gotten wrong. Uh, and in this case, you know, he's talking about uh, how, you know, the, the residents of the planet UK or whatever. He, you know, and they go to war every year with Turkey. With the people of Turkey. <laughs> and, and then eat them. Like savages. <laughs> Right, and then and then when they're on Earth, he's like, "Be careful because boxing will start will start any time now." Oh my God, which I thought was that hilarious. was my favorite line. That was my favorite line because you know, again, being you know in from in America, mm-hmm. Boxing Day isn't a thing, so it's, right. you know, it's something that you have to know about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just it, that almost all of it, uh, everything that that guy said about Earth just made me laugh because. It was, you know, kind of what uh, we all assume eventually the historical records will be found by this alien species and they will find us super confusing because of what we do. Um, and so this this kind of represented that for me in the sense that uh, here's, you know, a clear misunderstanding of uh, the, the traditions of Christmas uh, by an alien species that, you know, thinks it's fascinating <laughs> and and plays that up uh but i love how when they get taken down immediately the doctor's like there's gonna be so many people they're gonna be freaked out by buckle oh there's nobody what something's wrong <laughs> like immediately it's like when, something's wrong right and but you but you hear what the what the story is is why they've all left him like, i wouldn't blame them right. after the last two christmases i'm not sticking oh around oh my god that 
that whole moment was unbelievable because again you know we we've lived through it uh in that we've seen the series uh so the idea that everybody in england is like we're getting out of dodge because there were spaceships last time and then there were the christmas star star with the lightning and you know we don't want to be anywhere near except i'm staying here and the queen is staying here you know i love the the fact that the queen would be like y'all can leave i'm gonna stay at buckingham palace right exactly (laughs) and you know she's going to prove that she's there you know that it's safe because if the queen's not leaving then it should be safe and okay um, right one of, right one of the one of the fun parts of, of that this particular uh scene going on is is wilfred uh who is the uh never mentioned the name is mentioned in the credits but it's never mentioned during the show who is the uh the uh newsman the oh. news the, the newspaper seller his uh-huh. name is wilfred in the show um He's, you know, when he looks at, he points at the TV and shows the, uh, and shows that the queen, you know, that the TV reporters are there and they're doing the queen. Um, there's a mag, there's a magpie logo from it, you know, magpie, uh, electronics from Idiot's Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, was on the side of the TV. So that was, that was something that, that was a fun little, uh, reach back to a couple of, uh, uh, not last season, not the previous season, but the season before, mm-hmm. um, and it was also the um, um, the fact that uh, uh, had he just had that one little scene, it might have been different. It might have felt different. But when you see him again uh, towards the end, when everything is going on, he feels more important. Oh. That, that, that. <laughs> I love it when there are, you know, breadcrumbs leading me to more mysteries. Um, yes. But as as we mentioned, you know, they're 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 down on earth, but they're quickly called back uh for some issue that is happening on the ship. Uh and that's when the plot thickens and that it is unveiled that uh the ship's crew is unaware, but the captain and some something else in the ship is uh, clearly trying to sabotage this crew, uh, the, or the, sh- the, 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 the crews, I should say, not the crew. Uh, and the, as is, as has become a thing, the doctor loses the TARDIS. So he's sitting there watching as this gaping hole that was created by the meteorite crashing into the thing, uh, destroying you know the the hole and he's like well if we look around oh there's my ship and he says yeah oh what is it what's wrong that's my ship over there where Uh, that box that little blue box that's a spaceship oi don't knock it it's a bit small a bit distant (laughs) and i love the idea that it's not just a bit small but hey, it's okay. Well, yeah, it's and and, yeah. and it's going away, and it's going to land on Earth. <laughs> and right. once again, it, the Doctor is separated from his method of being able to. Because if the TARDIS was still on board, he would have been able to quickly get to the the ship's uh, cockpit and be able to solve everything. So you know, right. I love how they. Well, yeah, you they had hamper to, him. Just, 
just like the impossible planet where they, you know, they parked it. And then that part of the, that part of the, uh, the space station disappeared, you know, into the, into the ground with, you know, the TARDIS in it. Right. And in 42, it gets locked into, right. you know, locked part it, of the right, ship that they can't get, can't get, into, get the heat. into. So, uh, right. you know, I love how all the they, other episodes that I all the other episodes that I've been with uh, you pretty on. much that seems to be whenever you and I are together, uh, the doctor will be separated uh, from his TARDIS in some fantastical way. Uh, I really liked this one. The, the idea that uh, if the TARDIS is ever set adrift, it will automatically lock on to the nearest gravity source. Uh, and and you know land itself, which was fantastic. How it just right. goes, to, you know, straight to Earth. It's like, okay, this is my home now. <laughs> mm-hmm. If nothing else, it just it'll just sit there and die, like uh, the the ninth Doctor said when when he sent Rose back, right? Um, uh, at during uh, the end of the Parting of the Ways, it'll just uh, become just let forgotten. Let just let just let it. You know, it'll just sit there and die eventually what you know, which is such a sad thought you know that you would just let the ship die because there's nobody to take care of it like right i would feed the tardis i don't know what it eats but you know unless it's human blood uh because i've learned from you know musicals that you should probably not feed the plant no don't feed the plant <laughs> um but we we talked about it uh the once the asteroids hit the tone of the whole episode switches to the Poseidon adventure. Uh, and there's that moment where all the passengers uh, need to, you know, uh, be rallied. And rather than having Gene Hackman deliver that famous speech of life, life is up there. The doctor gets on his soapbox and tells him exactly who he is uh, in a way that I just found so satisfying when he actually says, I'm the doctor. I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case, Alonzi! I mean, just talk about, you know that heroic moment that the doctor always seems to, you know, go after. And and let's talk a little bit about that music because the music in this show is just amazing. It's, it, it fits perfectly every time you hear it, everything it was underscoring, it just felt right. It felt like a movie. It really, you know, it's the way it was scored. It didn't feel like just a, another television show. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those moments where like there are two moments in this episode where it felt very cinematic uh, and a moment that I, I definitely want to remember. And that was one of those moments where there's the doctor looking heroic and standing up and giving that speech to sort of rally the the crew and the, the remaining survivors with him. Uh, and I I get wrapped up into it. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'll on Z with you, Doctor. Um, but I, yeah. I love how, you know, they go from that to, uh, like we said, a very Poseidon adventure uh, moment where they can't get through this one particular opening and the the little guy, you know, snakes through 
and we have this weird, awkward thing because uh, I, this I felt like it was a little shoehorned in the the idea that in in the planet that they're coming from, cyborgs are not particularly welcomed, uh, and what seemed like a pretty you know heavy-handed, belabored uh, conversation between uh, our I guess uh, our new companion and this little this little creature uh is been a cafalata or been a cafalata but is, is there more significance to it other than just what they played up for what no no no, uh, no I, w- I wish there was just because it seemed interesting enough but it never goes beyond uh, this episode yeah cuz uh, you know in true british fashion there's there's a couple of moments in this episode where they kind of address the the whole uh, class warfare that seems to be always very present in the British mindset, uh, especially in the British uh, artistic mindset. Uh, you know, first with the with the two passengers that won their trip, as opposed to paying for it and being made fun of because of what they're wearing, and the doctor sort of getting you know a little bit of revenge for them using his sonic screwdriver. Uh, and then with this moment of, you know, Shh, don't tell anybody that I'm a cyborg um, and, and her, you know, it's like, it's okay. You're allowed to get married now. It's, it's fine. Right. It's just, uh, it, it was definitely, it, it felt like it should be, should have more to it or, or there should be more, you know, coming up, you know, mm-hmm. about it. And it just lies there. But I, I did love because it leads to that moment where, you know, the doctor uh, in, in a rare moment of the doctor not being the one that's actually leading the way has to ask. What's going on up there? I think Ben and Cafalata and I just got engaged. <laughs> Which, you know, that, that's such a clever, like even the way he's like, <laughs> yeah, because just made me laugh you know in in a moment where it could have felt you know and gone down that very uh over over dramatic uh you know thing that they seem to be heading towards with the whole cyborg thing and then she just kind of makes that joke and and he laughs at it as well right uh, and, and the doctor's even the doctor's facial expression is one of like oh okay that's interesting <laughs> Exactly. Oh, the two smallest of the of the groups, so they were able to squeeze through first and then you know have their moment. So <laughs> right. Um, but as uh, you know, the, the they get past you know obstacle after uh, after obstacle. They, they they get past things because of the doctor, but also because they're pretty much reliving the Poseidon adventure. Uh, and there's that you know another moment where the doctor gets that time with. Um, cripes. What is her name? Astrid. Astrid. Why can I not remember that? But he has that moment with Astrid, uh, where you know she starts to get really comfortable with him, uh, and kind of mocks him a little bit from you know the the speech he gave. Uh, you know they find you know they're they're sitting there and she says to him, "Saved you some." He might be a time king from Gadabee, but he's done it tight. Yeah, thanks. You know, I love that line, time king. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, whatever. I know you said something like that. It's, you know, whatever it is. Right. You're a time king from the Gadabee, but 
you yeah. still need to eat and I'm going to take care of you. Like, uh, which is clearly something that the doctor is longing for. He not only wants that companionship, but he wants somebody to take care of him. And she's very willing to take that position on. Right. And as it was, you know, last Christmas, it was put very clearly that he needs to have somebody with him because the darkness can take over him. So he definitely needs to always have somebody with him. Yeah. Yeah. He, and, and now more than ever, because he's definitely uh, in a very vulnerable position, uh, which, you know, again, leads them to this conversation. Uh, and she, again, you know, reaches out to him in a way that just felt so earnest and so loving. Uh, but she says, uh, Unemployed now. Uh, I was thinking that blue box is kind of small, but I could squeeze in. Like a stowaway. It's not always safe. So you need someone to take care of you. I've got no one back on stow, no family. Just me. So what do you think? Can I come with you? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You know, I, I love the idea that she's like for the first time he is not having to ask somebody to come with him. She is asking. Um, right. And also the fact that she's, you know, it's almost like the perfect companion when she says there's nobody at home. Um, it's, you know, he's, he's, you know, having to dealt with, uh, Jackie and then with Martha's mom. And it's like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot with family. So maybe with, you know, having someone who doesn't have anyone at home might be better. <laughs> well and the you know he he even tries to dissuade her he's like it's not always safe and she's like that's fine then then what i can do is take care of you you know right. and, like, you'll, and you'll protect me and i'll take care of you and it'll work out it, like it, it just it's wonderful to see that she's you know she's ready to jump in and be like nope i don't care what you say i've made up my mind i've seen enough to know this is the life for me. Uh, and the doctor almost immediately becomes smitten with her because, uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it, it almost feels like she is catnip to him. He cannot resist her. You know, she is oh, not at all. <laughs> meant to, you know, immediately draw his attention. Well, right at the very beginning, he, he approaches her because, you know, she was in need. So she had to, uh, she got bumped into. And glasses broke, and she had to pick up the glass. So now she was someone who was need, who was in need. So he immediately rushed to the aid. Yeah. I well, yeah, and he he needed her as much as she needed him because they they seem to be a a pair that is made for one another in more ways than one. Especially after you know being left by Rose, not willingly, but you know, having to leave Rose and then being left by uh, Martha being, you know, sort of um, turned down by Martha uh, because she you know, realized that he was never going to see her for the way she saw him. And, you know, after that year of uh, being the savior of earth, she realized that what was most important to her was making sure that her family was safe and ready. So, you know, it, 
I, I loved the relationship that developed between these two uh, and, and how, you know, the doctor becomes so determined almost because he realizes this was worth it just to find her. Oh, yes. And, and, you know, again, the, uh, uh, yes, she was definitely smitten with him, but he clearly had feelings for her immediately as well. Now, again, was that because he was lonely or was that because, um, it was, he felt his history. Um, there is a, um, what was it called? There was a kid's one of these uh, separate uh, uh, episodes that's not part of the original, um, but it is uh, was played right between the last episode and this episode of those kids for the world episodes that are, you can find on the internet mm. uh, where he, where he meets up with the fifth doctor. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's a short little thing for uh, kids to take the world. And, um, so maybe he's actually feeling some of his history because he, he was, he's run into, uh, someone who is, uh, that ran into himself from so many years ago. Mm. So time crash is the name of the episode. I'll, I'll have to look at it. I know there was one where the doctor had just regenerated the, the first time that the doctor and Rose sort of interact, uh, um, before the start of series two and certainly the, the, the Christmas episode for series two. Right. Um, exactly. They, yes. They well, they were, well, I was still trying to find out who he was and whether he was ginger. <laughs> um, but uh, getting back to, you know, the doctor and his antics, um, there's a lot of really clever one-liners that he says in this episode. Uh, and one of my favorites, uh, which is almost a, a trope in a lot of uh, sort of old but goody um, science fiction movies. Uh, and, and the doctor has that moment uh, where, you know, he, he saved the people. He has now decided that he needs to really figure out what is going on down in that uh, special, you know, part of the ship. And so he has the, 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 the hosts, he, you know, he fools the hosts into not killing him. And then he says to them, take me to your leader. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> uh, yes. Just the way, the pure joy in his face of, I've always wanted to say that it makes that line worth it. Cause if he didn't acknowledge the ridiculousness to it, Again, I think in, a, in in the tone of this episode, it would have felt weird and out of place. But then he does that thing that the doctor always does where he acknowledges the outrageous. And he's like, I've always wanted to say that. Saves the line. Absolutely saves right. the line. He loves it. Yeah, that's, that's the part that that's makes David Tennant's uh, portrayal of the doctor so good because he can immediately switch that off into the little giddy. Uh, so that's so much fun. And, you know, for the, the comparisons, you know, the further I get away from, uh, Eccleston, the more I, uh, forget that Eccleston was very playful and Eccleston's doctor was very, you know, happy go lucky. Uh, and that's, that's something that I could have easily seen 
the ninth doctor say and do. Uh, and it's not something that we see the tenth doctor do frequently because the tenth doctor tends to immediately go more towards the uh, I get angry and I'm going to take action because you are threatening my friends or something I care about. Uh, so for him to have that moment uh, felt awesome. You know, it, it was it was nice, especially after a, a, a series that felt very heavy. There were a lot of episodes in which the doctor had to deal with a lot emotionally uh, and sometimes physically. Uh, so it was good to see a couple of moments for him to just kind of have fun and, and get to be goofy right. like that. Right, and wear his unlucky tuxedo. <laughs> uh, he definitely seems to not have uh, great times with that tuxedo. Certainly not yes. with Lazarus and not again here. But um, yes, speaking of Lazarus, yes. he does get to face off against the big bad of this episode, which turns out to be none other than the Max Capricorn guy that we've seen, uh, you know, blathering about throughout the ship about, you know, how awesome he is. And we get to find out that he's an android or a cyborg, um, which we determined through that clunky bit of uh, exposition that uh, cyborgs are not particularly welcome in the uh, environment from which they come from. Uh, and that his whole reasoning and then the whole reason the earth is in peril is because he's a sore loser. And of course, yeah, well. the doctor has that moment where he's like, not only am I going to find out about, you know, what your weakness is, but then I'm going to taunt you about it. And he says something like, Because Max Capricorn is a loser. I never lose. You can't even sink the Titanic. Oh, but I can, Doctor. You know, it's like you can't even sink the thing that's supposed to be known for sinking. <laughs> right. You know. And again, that's the whole question. Did, was this ship named the Titanic because uh, it was a mistake? Or was this all planned from the beginning? Mm. I didn't think about that because they, they mentioned how Max picked the name. And based on what we know from Max, it seemed quite plausible that he would have just picked the name because it was a famous Earth ship. And, you know, this was a ship that they were going to be bringing people uh, to and fro uh, from Earth. And also uh, the the captain, and maybe he was lying, but the captain insinuated that this was an old ship, that the ship had been in, uh, in action for a while when the crewman says, you know, hey, what's going on? There's some weird power draw in in this particular uh, part of the ship. And, you know, the captain's like, ah, you know, old ship having her, you know, pains or whatever I think he says. Right. uh, You know, maybe maybe the ship has been around for a long time and Max just finally got ousted and decided he was going to use the ship. Uh, And it's it sort of played out as a cruel irony for him. Um, But. You know, leave it to the doctor to find a way to sort of pour that salt over Max's wound, uh, and and you know really taunt the bad guy because uh, right. you know the, the doctor can't just leave well enough alone. He really has to get those guys keyed up. Well, he never has. It's it's 
what the, that's what the doctor does best. Right. <laughs> because you're never going, you're never going to get the answers if you just let the let the the bad guy, as it were, talk. Mm-hmm. You got to you know rile them up a little bit so that they you know let loose a little bit more. Yeah, you definitely because he... they're not thinking about it and they start then they start ranting a little more and that's when you learn it all. And once you know it all, then you can find a way to get a, to get uh, around it. Yeah, he definitely shook him up. Um... But ultimately, it's not the doctor that defeats Max, but, you know, it's his girl uh, in a very sort of Martha-esque move, <laughs> as it were. You know, she takes that forklift and pushes the guy off and doesn't even think twice about herself. She's like, right. this is what at, I need to do to save my doctor. At forklift speeds. So why should you? <laughs> like forklifts don't move that fast. You could have jumped out. <laughs> well, not only do forklifts not move that fast, but they're not like the easiest thing to operate. And somehow right. she, you know, she seemed to be not a great waitress, but apparently a great forklift operator. Well, I, uh, not at first though, because they were definitely going toe to toe back and forth, with, you know, spinning their wheels against each other until she went, "Oh, I can lift." <laughs> you know, I can press this button and lift him in the air, and now his wheels don't affect me anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it it was also this like hilarious like so the this is the bad guy, and you know his weakness is you could just push him and he can't fight back. Like okay, um, so it 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 was very goofy and in sort of that lovable Doctor Who way. Um, well, yeah, I think also we needed a goofier. Him. Yeah, I think we needed a goofier villain after the master. Oh, because uh, yes. <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely not goofy. No, yes, no, and and <laughs> you know, yes, there is some death in this episode, but and not all of it is played comedically, but because we don't really know these characters and we haven't really spent a whole lot of time with them, their death doesn't impact us as much, although. Uh, you know, even the doctor doesn't have an immediate response to what happens to her. You know, he's so in the moment. Um, and then, you know, like you can see that seriousness. And this is that second moment that I mentioned, you know, had me sort of uh, thinking, wow, this is a very cinematic moment where, you know, he's walking away from the explosions of Max's destruction (laughs) and you you know, that slow-mo walking trope. Yeah. Yeah. The the trope I've set off this explosion. So therefore I can walk backwards. You know, I can walk away from it and not flinch as the explosions are happening around me. Right. You know, just, (laughs) and wearing the, the, the tuxedo with the tennis shoes. And it was just like a very James Bondsy kind of thing. Uh, But you know, it gave him a little bit of that gravitas before he then commands the angels to fly him. And in another comedic moment, he just busts through the floor of the, uh, of, of the ship's, you know, deck of the ship's, uh, bridge. Uh-huh. Right. Well, they, they, the, you know, he had, uh, uh, Alonzo had to, uh, feel off the bridge to save his life from the, from the uh, hosts. Right. So there was no other way through it. Yeah. And the doctor kept referencing, like, okay, one problem at a time. 
yeah, but I'm locked in. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. Uh, we'll right now there. I'm still, we'll <laughs> uh, and so, you know, he does. And, uh, as is of course the want to, for the doctor, he's going to save the world. Uh, I loved how the ship is falling through the sky and, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, episode three where Anakin is like trying to fly the ship into Coruscant. Uh, you know, a lot of overacting from people, especially, you know, like tenant is overacting, but I expect the doctor to do that. But like the kid, you know, like throwing himself back and forth in the, <laughs> on, on the bridge, Oh yeah, you know, um, but I love the fact that the, the, yeah, the old Star Trek, the original Star Trek show. Okay, everyone shift to the left. Now right, 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 right. I loved that. I love that whole sequence down to, you know, the the guy from the newspaper stand uh looking up going, Come on, you aliens. Uh and like the doctor calling in like this weird like spaceship phone from the Titanic calling Buckingham Palace telling them to evacuate uh and then like pulling the ship out like at the last minute like doing a flyby uh you know just fantastic and of course um one of the things that has kind of driven my wife a little crazy is that in the past uh at least two uh christmas specials uh you know when they reference christmas people say merry christmas and my wife's like, it's it's England. It shouldn't be that. And uh, to to the best of my knowledge, and dear listener, if you know different, please write in and let me know. But this is the first time that we hear it, and the Queen shouts up at the spaceship and says, "Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Happy Christmas." She finally Happy said, Christmas. It. "Happy Christmas." Yes, Happy Christmas. <laughs> It's not Merry Christmas. It's Happy Christmas. Um, Always has been. Yes, that that has annoyed me as well. It's like, <laughs> that's just not right. Right. My wife has always found it obnoxious and annoying. Um, but, you know, it's, it is it is the thing that uh, the Brits are known for. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, just to kind of bring us up to the end, uh, I love how... Uh, again, through some clunky exposition, we find out that the historian uh, kind of lied his way onto the ship, that he's clearly not a well-versed historian, as we know, because he's just spouting off nonsense. And so, you know, there's a penalty in the planet that they're from that he's going to go to jail, and he just doesn't have that time. Uh, and in the way that the doctor is, again, one to do, he gives him a reprieve by sending him off into you know into earth but not before they address the thing that uh, my wife was calling out to the screen for uh, and almost as if uh, Russell T Davies heard her uh, he has the historian look at the doctor and say of all the people to survive he's not the one you would have chosen is he? But if you could choose, Doctor, if you could decide who lives and who dies, that would make you a monster. That would make you a monster, he says. Um, oh, yes. Which, you know, not not the person you would think would survive, but that would make you a monster. Um, right. You know. Well, and, yeah, I mean, you know, very, very Billy Zane uh, from Titanic, you know, uh, you know, feelings 
that this guy has. Right. Um, right. You know, it, which is exactly to your point in the Titanic, not the best of people got to survive. It just tended to be the rich people, the, the, the jerks. Well, um, right. But also, you know, a, a friendly reminder that, you know, if the doctor were to choose, you know, what kind of monster would he be? Um, because we've seen him almost go down that road and almost get pulled into that monstrous shape, uh, especially during the last Christmas um, episode, you know, where he is drowning these spiders and almost taking uh, too much glee, you know, too much joy in that, in that simple act. So uh, a very poignant uh, observation and one, like I said, that my wife was trying to make. It's like, why did the jerk get to survive? Um, but, you know, like I said, the doctor gets to send the historian free uh, and with that last little bit of like, okay, cleverness, uh, the historian's like, well, I have about a million credits. <laughs> and the doctor's like, right. you're going to be just fine. <laughs> you're not going to need anything. Uh, you're not going to need anything. You'll be okay. Granted, it's on a credit card, so that's a little issue. Yeah. Issue, but yeah. I was like, you're going to, in 2007 in uh, London, uh, he'll, he'll have no problem using that credit card to pay for things. <laughs> So I, I, I really, really enjoyed the episode. Um, so you mentioned there's a couple of things that clearly I should have paid attention to. Is there anything else that I missed? Well, there's a lot of things that, that <laughs> happened and things that didn't. I mean, uh, the whole season three, uh, angels were a big deal, even though it wasn't ever, it wasn't to hit you in the face like, uh, you know, uh, like bad wolf or, uh, or Torchwood was, but obviously the Weeping Angels. You had the Archangel Network yeah. uh, in the in the last uh, episodes. Um, obviously, these are the the robots, the hosts, which they are angels. And going back to season two, the Doctor is referred to as My Lonely Angel by Renette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so there's definitely angels had gone through. And speaking of Renette. Uh, the other person who uh, passes before being able to get on the TARDIS. So Astrid is the second person who wanted to get on the TARDIS and travel with the doctor and uh, passes away before that can happen. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, again, you know, episodes that, that we've done together. So that was uh, fun. Um there is, uh, there was at one point Dennis Hopper, the star of Easy Rider and uh, Blue Velvet, was supposed to play Mr. Copper, who is the historian. Um, and there was supposed <laughs> to be uh, Albert Einstein was supposed to appear. I don't know when and where, but they had. Uh, there was a there was a British tabloid, The Sun, claiming that Woody Allen was going to to, uh, to portray him. Um, so that's yeah, I you know that's a little. Uh, Unusual, but that's okay. Woody uh, Allen as doc- Albert Einstein. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it would never have been a long thing, you know. You know, you know it's, you're in, you're out. Um, the doctor mentions his when he was talking about Earth being homeless, and the first the first series of the Third Doctor uh, is a punishment from the Time Lords, and the TARDIS is with the Doctor, but it is locked from him, and he cannot get in it. 
and he spends the entire season earthbound. Mm. And that's when he starts working for unit. Mm. So that is a, that is a big deal. And then, um, we had talked about the almost, um, destruction of the, uh, palace and had Buckingham palace been destroyed, then the queen would have cursed the, um, doctors such as Elizabeth the first and, uh, Victoria, Queen Victoria had both done. Mm. Uh, and that was, uh, the start of Torchwood you had uh, in the in the episode with Rose in the and in, in the second season. Yeah, Tooth uh, and you Claw. had uh, Tooth and Claw. You had yeah, the the Doctor being cursed uh, by the Queen. So uh, that would have definitely been a continuation of of that going on. Uh, but the minds were changed. Wow. Interesting, uh, interesting little uh, nuggets. Uh, and, and of course, speaking of interesting little uh, bits of information, we uh, we have a little bit of uh, tidbits from our favorite TARDIS tidbit purveyor, Ashley. So, Ashley, what are what are the things that you have for us this week? This is Ashley's TARDIS tidbits for the 2007 Christmas special, Voyage of the Damned. On its original air date of December 25th, 2007, this episode was watched by 13.31 million viewers, which was the highest ratings ever for a Doctor Who since the 1979 episode, City of Death. In Army of Ghosts, the first part of the Series 2 finale, the Doctor says that he would love to meet someone named Alonzo, so he can say, Allons-y, Alonzo! Finally, he gets his wish in this episode when he meets Alonzo Frame, the midshipman. Alonzo was played by Russell Tovey, who at one point Russell T. Davies considered to be the doctor himself. The character of Astrid was written for Kylie Minogue after she expressed interest in being on the show. Astrid also is, of course, an anagram of the word TARDIS. Murray Gold, the composer of all the beautiful music on the show, and Ben Foster, the conductor, both appeared in this episode in the band scene as a pianist and guitarist. In the original first draft of the script, Russell T. Davies actually had Buckingham Palace destroyed by the Titanic. The Queen cursed the Doctor, and there was a hoped-for cameo by Prince Charles himself. However, Davies decided to spare the palace and not end it this way because he felt it was too negative for a holiday episode. Sadly, there were, there were two women lost during the filming of this episode. Verity Lambert, Doctor Who's original producer from 1963, died on November 22, 2007, about a month before the episode aired and a day before the show's 44th anniversary of its original air date. Also, David Tennant lost his mother, Helen MacDonald, during the filming of this episode. The filming took place between July 9th and August 11th of 2007, and she sadly passed away on July 15th. Filming had to be rescheduled, and he was allowed to be with his family during this sad time. As a bit of a spoiler, but not really. When Astrid is looking at Earth and she looks up at the sky, she comments how there aren't that many stars. Hmm. Something to keep in mind. Spoilers. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. More stuff coming. 
more stuff coming. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, well, I, I'm super eager to find out what else is to come uh, and uh, not sure what to expect, but I'm sure it's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, but it's been the, this series, uh, I guess, technically this falls uh, in between series three and series four, uh, but series three has definitely... Uh, put me through the emotional ringer, so uh, I'm I'm not sure I'm emotionally prepared to go through series four, uh, but I love that I now have a few more breadcrumbs to start picking up on. Oh, definitely, it's it's a fun it's it's a fun start. Uh, I, I think that the beginning of series four is some of the best first three, four episodes are, I really, I really, really like. It's some of my favorite of all the episodes. Wow. Uh, and uh, there's, uh, you know, as, as any Doctor Who episode, you know, show will be, you'll have some fun. You'll have, you'll, you may shed a tear and uh, you will always be on the edge of your seat. Uh, well, <laughs> I pay for the whole seat, but I only need the edge. That's true, <laughs> but and, and of course you'll you'll get the the uh, the bad the the bad graphics because it's always a callback to the old series, such as the uh, four people in this episode who fell using the same exact graphic, <laughs> or one blowing yeah. into space and then three other people falling using the same exact graphic, different you person know, falling. I I expect <laughs> I expect it at this point. That's what I expect from Doctor Who. I oh, I know, but that's why it's fu- at some point it's like okay, this, this is it's funny. It's not even it's not a, it's not bad. It's it's so bad it's good. Yeah, it it is it is part of the charm of what makes Doctor Who such a fun uh, experience for me uh, and for so many others. So I enjoy it. I enjoyed this episode. Uh, it did. It definitely. Uh, it was a lighter episode. It was a fluffier episode. Uh, it had some fun things happening to it, but it was. It was definitely a good palate cleanser. Uh, it was the sorbet oh, yes. desperately needed after the intensity of the master's appearance. Yes, and like I said, the first couple episodes uh, going into series four are fun. Uh, I can't wait. So thank you, uh, John, for once again joining me for the Christmas special and for joining me as you have done throughout the series. Uh, So hopefully you will join us again uh, for uh, several episodes in Series 4. I'm looking forward to it. I already have a couple in my mind, so we will talk soon about that. Uh, Can't wait. So thanks again, dear listener, for getting to the end of yet another podcast. And of course... Uh, if you haven't already, um, go visit firsttimelord.com. That is where you can find all of, all, all of our previous episodes. Uh, you can leave comments for all of them, uh, which I greatly look forward to hearing from you because uh, I haven't had that many comments. And, you know, we're going into series four. So if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, leave a comment, firsttimelord.com. Also, if you want to support the show, we've got a merch store that you could find at firsttimelord.com. Uh, we've got awesome t-shirts. Uh, we just added some 
uh, cases for phones. Uh, the t-shirts are very, very soft. Uh, I've gotten several compliments wearing mine out in public. So, hey, pick one up. And if uh, merch is not your thing, you can also find a link to my Patreon site, uh, of which one of the many tiers that you can subscribe to gets you shows. Uh, so if that's how you want to support the show, fantastic. Or most importantly, if uh, you can't support the show financially, just share the show. I am sure that there's somebody else in your life that likes Doctor Who and that would enjoy listening to it. But until next week... I have no time left but to jump on my TARDIS and watch some more Doctor Who. Anything else I've always wanted to say. Hi. 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 Hi.